We should throw one of those in. <laughs> I can't even do it. Are we recording? <laughs> this is my interpretation of you, but it's a really bad one. I can't. I don't even have enough to <laughs> sniff. Oh, you know gosh. what you need? A deviated septum. <laughs> And Mandy. And we are uh, ecstatic that Ooh. you are with us this week. It's always such a pleasure to be with you each week. And so um, welcome back. I've been to using. Episode, or welcome if it's your first time. If it's your first time. I've been using the word thrilled. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, like I actually it. used the word thrilled with a guy recently. Oh. And how do you respond to that? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> cares how so, he responded so he's not much of a planner right and he reached out to make plans with me for like a couple days in advance that's good and i was like oh my god i'm like thrilled that you're making plans in advance like thank you obviously yeah. this makes you know what i mean like it, whenever anyone reaches out to you to make plans with you it makes you feel loved it makes you feel wanted yeah. it makes you feel like seen and mm -hmm. um desired and that's like a big thing for me i was uh, tangent i'm not going to talk about dating but I was recently thinking of all the things I want to feel mm -hmm. like working sort of backwards again. Like I've probably done this exercise a long time ago, but I haven't done it in a long time. But I was like, what are all the things I want to feel when I, in a partner, mm -hmm. like in a person I date? So anyways, desire just at the top of my brain. Um, but I said I was thrilled that he was like reaching out and making plans with me in advance. And he was like, well, like we haven't exactly set any details <laughs> like i was like yeah but you picked a day and that's yeah. like and th you, that's in my effort. book that's showing effort thank you yeah. but in my book that's like 90 percent of it mm -hmm. like you just you need to hold the time in my yeah. schedule we talk about that a little bit in this episode but like you need to hold the time in my books otherwise like if i'm left to my yeah. own devices i will work <laughs> well, yeah well i was gonna say fill it up with other stuff i will work or read oh, another cool. bridgerton book yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, speaking I, of which, are you on to a new <laughs> Bridgerton book? Wouldn't you like to know? Um, no, they don't come out on digital, on Kindle Reader until March 30th. So almost in oh, like wow. a day, I will Ooh. be. Ooh. <laughs> um, I haven't pre-ordered them yet. I'm going to wait until they drop. I did read an entire book on the flight to my mom's house, though, this last week. It's called, if anybody is into a, a fucking awesome book, it's called The Glass Castle. And it's by a woman named Jeanette Walls. It's based on her life. And I didn't even, so funny. So I, I sat down on the plane and it was a 8 a.m. flight. So I had like three and a half hours ahead of me on this plane. It's kind of daylight. I'm like, maybe I'll read this book and I'll be able to nap a little bit. I was so enthralled. I read through half of the book. I didn't put it down the entire flight. Wow. Or like 150 awesome. pages. I love that. On the flight. And I got there and I was like, wow, like I don't want to stop reading it. And then I sent a picture of it to this guy I'm talking to. And I was like, this book is so good. And uh, as I'm taking a photo of it, I'm like, is that Woody Harrelson? It says made into a movie or it says oh. something about being made into a movie. And I was mm. like, is that Woody Harrelson? So it's a movie. Woody Harrelson, oh. Naomi Watts, Brie Larson, mm. Max Greenfield has a small okay. part in it. So I told my mom this, obviously, because I got to her house and she's the one who lent me the book. Oh, like, I, I, I can't nice. even say she lent it to me. I actually just took it from her <laughs> last July when I was there. I, I was like, I'm just going to take this because it was about a girl who was being raised by like uh, an alcoholic father. It's like mm -hmm. a, a life of kind of addiction and the craziness that ensued in her world as a, a, a result or a side mm -hmm. effect, whatever. 
because I, you know, I'm all about those addict stories. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> I love me a good addict. So um, I just wanted to read this book. So it was based on a true story, and for whatever reason, I didn't get around to it. On my, Until now. Yeah. So it's okay. But you I got to it. Blasted and it through was it in great. three days. So good. The discovered it was a movie. Mom looked through her cable guide thingy because she works for Comcast. Okay. So like she has like every channel known to man. And like if there's you a movie. Found it. Yeah. So we found watched it, it. Watched the movie the last day I was there. It sucks. Oh. <laughs> it was just. It That's was. Okay. It was not. It, they reorganized some of the details in the book and it didn't make sense. Hmm. So I was like, well, that sucks. And then the direction was just, you could tell the direction was just a little lacking. And obviously, because with the reorg of some of the details, the screenplay didn't make as much sense. And because of the, in my opinion, the really soft direction, it the actors' performances didn't shine as much as they should have because those mm-hmm, are some, mm-hmm. that's a great cast. So I was yeah. pretty pumped and I loved the book. I was pretty pumped about the cast. And then like, I was like, like it barely kept my attention. Like I knew everything that was coming, but there were only a couple of scenes that really made me feel like, wow. But there's parts of the story that take place in Arizona. Like a lot of her young childhood is in Arizona and Phoenix. And they talk about a lot of landmarks around the city. And I was like, that's interesting. And um, California and Southern California. And I mean, it was a good book, The Glass Castle. I Glass highly Castle. recommend it. So no, I'm not reading another and, Bridgerton and, book and yet. You're highly recommending the book, not the movie. I highly recommend the book. Um, if you want to be disappointed in a movie, go ahead and watch it. Mm, but you know, we've had several conversations about how books tend to always be a little bit better than the movie yeah. or the See, I've seen movies version. that did a good job on the book yeah. though too. Yeah. But I I I've yet to find a movie that was better than a book. Does that make sense? I've I've yeah. maybe seen movies or TV shows or you know uh, screen uh, versions of books that yeah. were just as good mm-hmm. or a slightly you know almost good, right. but never better than mm-hmm. the book. But of course, the written word can you know can create well the written the word adds to your imagination, yeah. and so that's what is probably part of why books tend to be so great. I, oh, yeah. I mean, the casting was good. Um, it's interesting because, I mean, they the kids literally in the book eat don't go don't get to eat for days at a time Holy because their shit. dad spends I mean, he's like he can't hold a job. He spends all their money on booze like he's always at the bar and yeah. the mom's worthless. She, like she has her own mental issues yeah. happening where she doesn't want to work like so the, the kids literally talk about not eating all the time like they talk about eating a half a stick of butter that was in the fridge like between the three of them and mixing it with sugar oh, man. like it's insane um so i did find it funny that one of the little kids wasn't like they talk about her being so scrawny and then like mm. the kids weren't really scrawny i was like if these kids are starving they don't look like they're oh, starving yeah so that was my only beef with yeah. casting was like the kids roles like the adults i mean those are brie larson like naomi watts woody yeah. harrelson like those they're are really- some good it's not that they didn't do a good job in their roles it was just the way it, it was just everything put together too, yeah right? it, it's not just having good actors it's Most about the time it's having direction a good screen. and uh yeah. you know yeah so oh bummer but that's okay but the book is stellar highly recommend it um 10 out of 10 honestly sweet. like i, I couldn't beans. put it down it was so enthralling okay. sweet beans yeah uh anything else new and good in life I don't know. Oh, okay. I mean, there's Let always me there so is. much new and good. I, mean, I know last I, week I was like <laughs> over bubbling with like good and it's still feeling yeah, super no. fucking great. And um, so I have something new and good. I already told you, but I will share with I'm our so listeners excited. that, um, you know, 
I mean, we've mentioned it a few times in the past, but I don't really go into much detail. But I love to sing. And one of my favorite things to sing is the national anthem. And I've been pretty bummed out the last like 10 months of like 12 months of COVID because all of the sports games have kind of been canceled. I know. And uh, before COVID, I actually had the privilege and the honor to sing for the Diamondbacks and the Coyotes and uh, uh, many other events around the the city. But, um, you know, I've always wanted to sing for the Phoenix Suns and the um, and the Arizona Cardinals. I have yet to sing for the Cardinals. But my dream to sing for uh, the Phoenix Suns is coming true. Wait, this is your first time singing for them? For the Suns? Oh, I didn't know that. I have auditioned for them probably uh, four or five times. And I've, you know, I submitted my demo uh, in 2019 because in 2019 they converted from live auditions to just submitting your demo so Good in 2019 i submitted my demo and just in uh, time for covid i just in time for covid actually <laughs> and then i was like oh you know who knows when they're ever gonna have live no game. singers yeah. again and i didn't even know like they were letting people in for games but then they called me the other day and they were like so well, they just had your tape for a year and yeah. a half they were like we, we we received your demo and you were re- highly recommended by a team member and we'd love for you to come sing for us next week and you weren't which, like new phone who dis <laughs> i don't know i wasn't <laughs> i'm like new phone yes <laughs> but uh actually when this episode comes out it will be tomorrow that i sing <sighs> for the phoenix suns versus atlanta hawks Yes. And so I'm, I'm super excited and I'm I'm really thankful that Mandy's going to be able to be there. She was there for my uh, Coyotes game. I was. It was Were awesome. Were you also there for Diamondbacks? I have not seen you. Okay. I wasn't invited to that one. I'm oh, not, I'm sorry. I'm not I picking not on you about you? it. I'm I know so you invited sorry. some of the old people around work <laughs> and I was like, they don't even care about baseball. Whatever. It's fine. It's not like, oh, it's no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I was like, what? I will push one of these people down the stairs and take their ticket. <laughs> Um, yeah, we went to the Coyotes, Coyotes game and that yeah. was really fun. Okay, cool. I really then, had a yeah, good time so there. Phoenix Suns. Is, and then. And I love basketball. Like oh, the squeaking good. of Yay. the shoes. Oh, I don't know. I know. I I'm know. so okay. weird. <laughs> the squeaking of the shoes as they run across the court. Okay. like. I, I love basketball. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Then that. And then, uh, then now that I know that things are up and running again with these games, I might try to submit again and really push for Cardinals. But that's going to be real hard. Yeah, I mean, that one doesn't They usually come back have like local professional and... singers or oh. like regional professional singers singers like they they have like Jordan can you Sparks submit your reels year. from like the suns Maybe. and the coyotes we'll see now that i have suns now it's you know i uh, mean the coyotes you sang in two languages you sang canadian <laughs> two languages <laughs> i was like wait two languages <laughs> i was like yeah can i count the canadian anthem as a second language <laughs> i would i just did <laughs> yeah so that's my new and good and i'm super excited and if it's on tv i hope everyone tunes in but i don't think it's shown on tv uh, i mean it's probably broadcast locally yeah maybe but uh, I will for sure tape it and put it on my Instagram. So so everyone, it's Monday. Hopefully you're listening to this on the, on the day it comes out. If yes. you're not, you're listening to it on Tuesday, on the day the yep. day after. And then you're going to cancel your plans on Tuesday night and watch us 7 p.m. Pacific time. Yes. So ma'am. convert that to wherever you are in the world. Mm-hmm. 7 p.m. Pacific time, the Suns game starts against the Atlanta Hawks. And the lovely Miley will be singing our beautiful national anthem, her favorite song favorite to sing. Song to sing. So I gotta, and she I does it so fantastically um yeah i'm hoping i can come down there and video it maybe because you're not going to be on the court because of covid they won't let me on the court so there's going to be a like a little viewing area yeah so i think you can go down there with me okay i would love to i'm gonna say i she has to like no i'm your handler yes exactly that's our story exactly you're my bodyguard yeah, I'm your handler. No mm-hmm. one gets near here unless mm-hmm. I say so. <laughs> exactly. So, yep. So, yeah. Uh, other than that, 
I'm super excited to uh, have everyone listen to our episode today. Josh Watson mm-hmm. of Vegan Phoenix and professor at ASU. Indulge irresponsibly. Indulge irresponsibly. Owner, baker, treat maker. Um, Entrepreneur, community builder. Whoa. I mean, this guy wears a lot of hats mm-hmm. and he is like. Full of energy It's and pretty passion. obvious like why I'm buds with him. Yes. <laughs> like we do all of the things and we run in very similar circles mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of stuff. But he's good people. He is such you, good people. You want good people around you. So we're so uh, thankful that he was able to join us and share his story with you, our listeners, and with us too. I was super excited that we I got to know. I him know I had better. never had a chance to pick his mm-hmm. brain about the school stuff, yeah. even though mm-hmm. I knew what he had done through a couple of years of knowing him now, like maybe three, yeah. close to three years. Um, yeah, so and I, it's I, a great way, like you said earlier, to end this month because this yeah. month is International Women's Month, and yeah. so it's so great to be able to end with him. And you'll know why when you listen to the episode. Yes. Hint, hint. He teaches female uh, studies, women's studies, gender and female sexuality sexuality. studies and Mm -hmm. a a few different courses that we talk about over the podcast. So. So enjoy the episode. Thank you for joining us, friends. Enjoy. Well, hello, Josh. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast this week. I'm happy to be here with you, too. Oh, we're happy that you're with us too. And we're happy to be with be, with you here. So uh, how are you feeling? I am feeling, I guess, a little overwhelmed because um, some people know like that I wear many hats. Uh, one of those hats being an uh, instructor, professor at ASU and uh, having a class load of 600 students with very different needs and accommodations that have to be met. So a lot of it's like third week into the semester and it's uh, about that time where they start cringing for the grade because a lot of them are graduating. So trying to maintain a positive attitude towards all of the emails coming in daily, um, even sometimes at night, uh, it's a bit much. And then also to trying to get permits for an event that Mandy knows well about, um, trying to get that established, but like going back and forth with different departments in the city has been quite the journey um and it doesn't keep me up at night but it's very frustrating uh when you think like oh this planning this event shouldn't be that hard because it's an essential event for people like a farmer's market or a night farmer's market um why is why is it this hard but then i don't know i I guess there should be like a more easier pathway but i guess during covid it makes it a little bit difficult but other than that i bake today and uh, baking makes me happy when I get to bake what I want. So I made some golden turmeric uh, sugar cookies and then some Ooh. regular sugar cookies with like some natural Aww. sprinkles too, so. Ooh, yummy, yummy. Yeah. Turmeric, like golden milk, like latte type of cookie? Yes. Mm. And then I topped it with a, a golden milk, uh, like a light golden milk uh, frosting with mm. topped with like a dust of cardamom and cinnamon. And they smell like, I don't, I don't I don't want to deliver them anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, um, Miley, can you handle the rest of the show? <laughs> I was like looking at him, I was like, or we can just pick just, up and move over to where I you're was at. Just downtown, I could have swung by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might take him to the uh, farmers market. So we'll see what happens. Nice. Well, let me just, uh, if I may, share that um, I can relate to how overwhelmed you may feel. 
I also teach and I do, you know, I've, I've had experience in, in the past with organizing community events and, you know, that overwhelming feeling, oftentimes it's, it's because you are so passionate about what you're doing and you just want to do a great job and you want to be able to create something so special that you know is meaningful, not either in the classroom or out in the community. And so sometimes I just tell myself, like, I'm overwhelmed because I care so much and that's a good thing, right? But I, I can totally relate to how overwhelmed you may feel and, and just know that you're not alone and let us know if you need anything. Thank you, I appreciate that. Josh, are you also still working full-time? Yes. Can you tell us and our listeners all about you? Yeah, like where I work? Give us, yeah. <laughs> tell us a Give little us a bit. Give us a bio. Yeah. Um, let's see, okay. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona at uh, John C. Lincoln Hospital. Well, that's Deer Valley, but I don't count like a birth. Like I was born, it's Maricopa County. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't say, I don't claim Deer Valley. Like oh, I'm from Deer Valley. Cause I'm not. Uh, so I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. I went to all of my schooling here, except for my um, doctoral program, which was at USC in LA, but all my high school, elementary school, middle school, kindergarten, all that was here in Arizona. Um, oh gosh, my first job uh, was Cold Stone. So Ducey, Governor Doug Ducey was like one of my first boss visits that I had. Did you know him personally? No, I I think I saw him like at a corporate center or something like that for Coldstone, but that was ages ago, like back in 2004. Um, I worked there from 2004 to 2006 and then went into banking. Banking really got my foot into like more of the professional realm because I felt like I wasn't like, it's like, oh, Coldstone, like I feel like it's a, not downing anyone that works there now, but it's just, that was like a good starting job uh, for me just to get experience in customer service before I went into the banking industry. And then in banking, I was there for a while, uh, got into electronic funds transfer and ACH and transfer and all that stuff. And then left from there and met a friend that got me going uh, to ASU. So like she went to ASU and I was in community college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then she started bringing me around. So I was like, oh, like I'm gonna meet great people, this and that. So she got me in uh, to like really get in excited. I don't think it was like her, like what that's not what she wanted. I think just me being her friend, she was like, oh, come meet my friends, whatever like that. So it's like, cool. Like, I want to see what your life is like at the university. And I just fell in love, like, with the whole atmosphere and everything. I was like, this is dope. Um, so I started ASU 2009, uh, started a fraternity 2010. Of course uh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah. multi and She's then, like, I'm new uh, here. Let's start a frat. <laughs> I know. Well, it was like, there wasn't any like that that was around in that area. And I was like, well, I want to be a part of a multi-coach fraternity. So uh, me and then three other people, we bought our fraternity at ASU and then um, graduated in 2013. I was very involved at ASU too, like student government and everything. Left from there, uh, pursued a master's degree in social and cultural pedagogy and did a bunch of conferences there. Met a lot of people. Um, which is like now really good friends of mine. And then I left after there because I was working at ASU uh, doing student services for SPARTS, which is like an organization that helps to do outreach to elementary and high schools, like to get them thinking about college and going to college, specifically ASU. And then I left to USC because it was like, you know what? I only, USC was a dream school of mine. So that was the only school that I applied for for my doctoral program. And I said, if I don't get in here, it's not meant to be. So then I got in, I was like, well, shit, like I have to move to LA now, move to <laughs> LA. <laughs> um, was there for three years. Um, that's when I found my doctor, uh, Jada. 
Um, now she's my little tripod. She's a Husky Malamute and um, moved back or taught in the School of Medicine over there for a while. I taught in engineering to high school students and then came back out to Arizona. Actually, no, me back up. So while in LA, I went uh, in 2017, I made the conscious decision to go vegan as well too, which turned out for the health. Then after health, it became for the environment, for the planet, animals, everything like that. So more of like a equitable vegan, but also mainly um, ethical too. And um, I started a food blog out there called Turnips and Beets. And Turnips and Beets uh, was, I think Mandy, you probably know this story too, like from like my early stage. <laughs> yeah. So I think my my blog name was Turnips and Beets, and I would like post different DIY recipes, uh, vegan recipes, how to do like vegan cheeses, cookies, all that stuff. And then I would in every catchphrase with indulge responsibly. So when I moved over back to Arizona, um, I moved back to teach at ASU, but then I was like, you know, I'm gonna keep this blog going. But in 2018, I was like, you know what? Like people are saying, oh, you should really like, like your stuff is really good. And I was like, well, I don't think so. So the fall of 2018, um, November 2nd, I believe, I started at the Sixth Street Market. And then this is like when I was like finalizing LSC and stuff. I was like, you know what? And those responsibly, it's like catchier than turnips and beets. That sounds more deceiving like a people like oh turnips and beets and it's like a bakery they're like no like we want some turnips and beets like so i don't want to think it was like a <laughs> give farmer's me some market. root veggies <laughs> <laughs> give me a veggie with some like beets on there <laughs> so i was like I, that I, tastes I, like dirt <laughs> <laughs> that's beets like the the shell of that uh, so then i started and build you responsibly and then it just boomed from there uh, so i was teaching at asu and then um running my food business on the side and had a bunch of wholesale and the whole business just kind of consumed my life. And I really wanted to take a pause. So I did that. And then I was like, damn, like, I just need a break. So COVID happened and it wasn't the break. It's not how I envisioned the break happening, but it was a break that I needed because I felt like I was working for so many people, but not for myself anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I really needed that realization of like, like, bitch, you got to take care of yourself because <laughs> if you, if you stressing out and hurting and not healthy, like you can't, you can't expect to go on if, you can't even take care of yourself. Um, so I got in an argument with myself and I was like, you know what, like I'm just <laughs> it down. Uh, Cause I call myself like, like I'll say, oh bitch, like you listen to that. And like, we argue like back and forth like myself. So that's the arguments happen in my head. Um, I 100% relate to this. Yeah. And I think you it's, and I may have talked about this story and anybody, if we have any, uh, you know, continuing listeners here, we have a few um, people who have probably heard me say that once or twice that like, I just had this moment where I was like, I'm so fucking tired. I don't want to open up because I was like on a little hiatus for a summer break and mm. I was traveling and I was like, I don't want to reopen. And then the other voice in my head was like, the bitch don't reopen. Right. So I was like, where'd you come from? I was like, damn, why we got to call each other names? Let's be chill. <laughs> so yeah. And I, I, so I completely relate to that whole, like wearing myself out and like, suddenly you feel like you're doing it for everyone else instead of like yeah, instead of what you, you want to do. It's like the joy and passion. And I was like, I felt like I lost that. So I was like, you you know maybe if i start doing it to where i want it to be so like right now like delivering with the few places that i do like i feel i have more control over that versus like every monday everyone's every friday and then like oh like i want to go out of town well we still need stuff and i'm like okay like i get the whole notion like you want people want your business to thrive without you being there i get that but it's like i'm not a commercial business i'm not right. like one of these commercial retailers so it's just me um, and then my business partner that helps me out too, um, now that like last summer, but through all that, like I acquired the vegan Phoenix account, uh, from a dear friend of mine. Um, I and love that, Dustin. 
Dustin, yeah. So, uh, and that really took off because um, I think he was just finished with it and he was going to let the page go. And then uh, ultimately, like, I didn't want to take it at first just because of everything that I had going on. But I was like, you know what? This page was like my main resource when I came back from being like a new vegan into the Phoenix area. I was like, that page was my saving grace in the website. So I was like, I don't want that to dismantle or disappear. So um, I said yes, and then um, got the page and revamped the page and everything like that too with the website. And now I'm planning the events for it and getting like t-shirts and like trying to get uh, money raised uh, so these events could happen and then bigger events after um, or when society opens back up again. So that is leading me up to where I am now with uh, everything happening, so. And That's did I meet you in 2018? You when did. When did you move here? Uh, no. 2017, I, 2018? I, I met you in 2019. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a night market. Yes. Because yeah. I was on the hunt for your Cinnabon on a stick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will never forget. I saw that on your page and I was like, oh, my gosh, I am getting myself a Cinnabon on a stick. <laughs> Oh, that night market. Because of course, at the <laughs> night market, I was like, um, here are the vegan vendors. You're only allowed to go there and eat. <laughs> just me and you and then Contaguas. <laughs> I'm like, there's a vegan bun down there. And I think there there was like maybe a- Oh, hot bamboo, bun. right? Yeah, yeah, hot bamboo. Um, and maybe one other thing. Oh, Med the Mediterranean magic truck. She was there. And there was somebody else that had like fries, some kind of crazy French fry falafel. Oh, was that the, the spiral potato- Oh yeah, the tornado yeah. potato, something like yeah. this. Yeah, I was like, Miley, you eat at these places. <laughs> you buy from my friends, <laughs> and I did. I'm I'm a very obedient girl. <laughs> uh, she, I can always bribe her with sweets and bread, and I'm like, and there's gluten free options. So yes. go down there and get mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and she's a good briber too. Like I remember her at the Phoenix Vegan Fest, and like slinging samples. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, you and I, I are wandering. <laughs> yeah, you and I are wandering around. I'm like, as he's Josh goes, I thought you were sold out. And I'm like, I am. What are those people all doing? <laughs> yeah, I was really proud of myself. At one point, I'm pretty sure there there must have been at least like eight people huddled around the booth. As I think we Josh and I saw at least maybe four people standing around, and I was like, what are they all waiting in line for? There's nothing left. Hey, I get creative. Yeah, and then she's selling samples. That was a riot. <laughs> Um, so wait, when did I meet you? Because I know I met you at Zen Nights and it was before you started Indulge, but you, I remember talking to you about the turnips and beets thing. And then you were talking to me about starting the food business. I think it was virtually like maybe I messaged you because I was trying to see what vendors were out there. And maybe I, no, I met you, you at, me at Zen, Zen Nights. Yeah. I met you at Zen Nights. That's where I first met you. And then I told you, I was like, oh yeah, follow your account, this and that. And then after that, I think that's when we start talking more about like just business and everything and just casual conversation too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was okay. as a nice. Okay. So what I'm, so let's back up a little bit. I'm, I'm hearing that you have a few different hats. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about each hat. And so I'm thinking, you know, you have the hat where you're this professor, doctor, uh, and I'd love to hear more a little bit about that. But then I also know that I am hearing that you also have like a hat on like as an entrepreneur you have this baking business and so love to hear about that adventure as well and then you have this new hat where you're a community builder and so we can dive into that too am I missing any hats so I always consider myself a facilitator of gender studies so um the class is women and gender studies and I'm in the women and gender studies department but I focus heavily more on gender but they can't reclassify the title of the class because of accreditation. 
Um, so it's a women and gender studies class or a women and sexuality course, but I say gender and sexuality because we talk about everything. So I like to think I'm a facilitator of those conversations and interests. So lay it on me. What do you want to know? I love that. First well, of all, <laughs> those are just all words that yeah. I'm like, yes, yes. Yes to all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been teaching at ISU this course? So I started ASU 2018 and I was doing like the intro, like ASU 101 and like the uni courses that taught you how to choose a major and how to do resumes and stuff. But I was like, you know what, this isn't what I want. It's a good foot in the door, but it's not like what I want to be doing uh, with this. So um, 2019 in the spring, like January was when I started in the gender studies department. And then I was doing women, gender and society. And then women and sexuality came in in the fall um, and that was like when I first had my first class of 175 students in that course. So that's when I started teaching in um, women's studies was the spring of 2019. How did you, like what got you into this subject area? Like what's the training, what's the experience, what's yeah. the, the background that PhD? led you to be an, uh, you know, an expert or, uh, you know, a knowledgeable person in this area? I don't think I caught what your actual PhD was yeah. in either. <laughs> So That's why my, I was like, let's talk a little bit about what yeah. led you to, you know, your doctor, your teaching, all this stuff. Yeah. So my uh, my background for education, from my educational background, my bachelor was in interdisciplinary studies. So my concentration was on education and family studies and human development. And then my master's was in social and cultural pedagogy, which focuses on, um, so the 15% of learning happens in the classroom. I'm doing like a pie chart. Um so the 15% for anybody who can't classroom. see what's happening right now, <laughs> his hands are making a slice of pie. <laughs> and then uh, the 85% happens of learning happens outside of the classroom. So uh, with pedagogy, it looks at spaces that you learn in outside of the classroom versus the 15%. Um, so mine focus a lot uh, on upbringing with uh, education, with uh, community, with neighborhoods, like just basically your, your socio-ecological like map. So like if that's your, your schools, if that's your churches, if that's your community, um, the YMCA, it could be activism, it could be advocacy, it could be um, lobbying, it could be being in a union or something, it could be golfing, it could be sports. So whatever those are. So a lot of my focus tend to be on um, ethnic minorities or minoritized students of color or just minoritized students. And then also um, gender, uh, mainly focused on uh, women as well too, uh, for these studies. So a lot of my research base happen to be people um, or individuals that identify as a woman or women. Uh, so that's what led me to my doctorate. So focusing my research and my dissertation on looking at um, gaps, opportunity gaps in higher education at predominantly white institutions that are private um, and nonprofit. So I can't say what schools I did, but there are two highly, um, there are two Ivy League like schools in the Los Angeles area. And I'll just say that. Um, and then that folk, uh, study focused heavily on um, women and how they came to get their degree and the gaps that they face. And that led and guided my research. So then when I got to um, teaching there, I started teaching at the Keck School of Medicine and my courses did focus on uh, gender and disparities in health. And uh, when I got to ASU, I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this and teach in African studies. Um, but I need to get my foot in the door first. So then once I did that, an opportunity came for me to join um, as a faculty associate and the um, 
the gender studies or the School of Social Transformation that houses gender studies and um, justice studies, African, African-American studies, um, Asian, Asian Pacific Islander studies and everything like that too um, in between. And um, yeah, I just started teaching from there and just fell in love with the courses and I've been teaching them since, yeah, spring 2019. That's so cool. I'm I'm curious to know a little bit about your dissert, like your dissertation. Like what what was the what was the big finding? What were some of the gaps? That yeah. You, like was did any of that surprise? Like I guess what were some of the big things that you found? Which parts of it didn't surprise you, and what did? So it was focused on our minoritized students, specifically black and uh, black and brown identified students, college ready. Answer, flat out was no. Um, so it looked at uh, student capital, it looked at cultural capital, it looked at different wealth gaps and opportunities and things that they had access to, things that they didn't have access to, if they're a part of any community programs that help focus their transition on attending college or what that might look like uh, transitioning to them within their respective communities. So although some of them attended uh, these uh, opportunities to get uh, more further into knowing about college and being ready and having like that financial uh, component to being ready, they still aren't ready uh, because when you got there, no one can teach you what it is to be a student. Like you're in this new environment. You don't know what to expect most of the time unless you grew up around students, you grew up around this, but it's different once you get there. So when they got there, they said, no matter how much training, how much education, how many programs I did, I was not ready. Um, and this is what not ready looks like. So they felt imposter syndrome, which was uh, one that I kind of expected, but it kind of caught me by surprise um, because they felt like they were kind of faking it till they make it. So when they get in classes, they perceive that they know what they're talking about so they could keep up with their uh, peers um, that they felt that were more competent to be there. So getting back around to it, I really wanted them to <clears throat> focus and like really understand that everyone else in here, like there might be times where you don't feel like you belong, but if you look around the room, everyone got here almost similarly the same way that you got here. So you deserve a seat at this table, no matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on. And then here are these support networks that could help uh, guide your experience and help uh, support you as a student uh, while you're here um, at this university or at that university. So um, really looking at those student stories and like finding what <clears throat> made them to be college ready, what resources were they using so this was to guide other people that might be interested or schools that might want to use my dissertation to say like, how can we better our programs to really look at um, these like foundational issues that we never even looked at. Like we just thought like, oh, we just take them to college and show them what it's like and they get excited. Like, no, there's so much more to it. Um, mm -hmm. So my, my dissertation will focus in guiding like research and practice um, on that area just for how students could be college ready even though these programs exist, but they still are not college ready. I and like, I'm that that's okay. I totally relate to that feeling of like not being ready and not getting it. Like, I think one cousin ahead of me had gone to college and was in college. She's only a year ahead of me, but there were no college graduates in my family. And kind of like you said, like not being around people that were students, like I did really well in high school. I found high school very easy. I wasn't one of those kids who had to study all of the time. I was the one helping my friends. So I probably got a little studying by proxy by helping friends, but like, it was a breeze for me. Like I breezed through math credits way ahead of time and doubled up on English credits. And like my senior year was all electives, <laughs> like, but my electives were things like accounting and 
I don't know. Oh, my art. electives were choir and dance. <laughs> yeah, and I did astronomy. Theater. We actually had a like planet- and ceramics. ASL. Oh, I totally did a sewing class. I knitted a blanket for six oh, weeks nice. in my senior year. <laughs> and then I worked in our vocational center and I had astronomy because we had a planetarium in our high school. So it was like, I had a great senior year, but like, and I did really well in high school. And uh, I got into a local college that I was like, great, I can commute from home, but like you get there and it's not at all like the high school experience. It's far more, um, like you're just really accountable for all your shit. Like in high school, it's kind of like you go there because everyone else is going there, but then you go to college and it's like, you don't know anyone there. And you have your own schedule. It's like all the classes. They're not like eight. It's not like eight to two, like high school is, you Mm -hmm. know, like you might have a class from eight to nine, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 AM to noon, but I can totally relate to some of those, you know, um, those imposter syndrome or those thoughts or those feelings, because Mm -hmm. I was the, I was the second one in my family, like in my immediate family, I was the first one to go to college, but I had a cousin who had gone to college. So she had gone to college and told me a little bit about college, but I got my to college was and- in a sorority. So that's oh. what she told me about college. Nope. I got uh. drunk with the sig- Sigma yeah. Phi Epsilon group. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, you know, that is one thing I never got into to Greek life, but sometimes I wish I did. Cause I don't know that part of I was college. Just like a clinger. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can feel that like, uh, there were moments during college where I'd get to a class and I would feel like I didn't belong because, or like I'd look around and there's 300 other people in this class. And I would feel like I was drowning because I didn't feel like either I couldn't catch up. I couldn't, I wasn't there on the right wavelength with people. There were things that I was not understanding. And it, it was, there were moments where there was struggle. I don't think I felt quite impostery in college I just felt like no one prepared me for what it was like the the accountability part of it was just so different from what I was used to in high school and like how much you had to actually try and study and how little the professors went over in class and how much you had to do on your own it was just but they're not telling you what to do that's the thing that's like the in school they're telling you what to do when you get to college like no one's telling you what to do like it's you are like you manifest your own destiny there like that's it like it's yeah. on. I was wildly unprepared. I started skipping class at least one day a week because <laughs> I was like, I don't know if, if they're not going to teach me much in the class, I guess I'll just read it on my own. I didn't do well in that class, but, uh, <laughs> was it psychology? Um, no, it was, what was it? I think it was economics. Actually. Okay. I did. Okay. Like I passed it. I didn't like fail it or anything, but I was like, it's the God awful, most boring class. Some math class I had, I remember there was only like 20 people in this crazy, analytics type of math class that they threw me in and I was like do I actually need to take this class because it's so awful and like the instructor had a thick accent and we would all look at each other and be like what did he say (laughs) oh it was oh my gosh college was the first semester was such a struggle like I took a break after three semesters and then I went back like two years later when I was a little more grown and had been in the real world and worked a bit and I was like okay now I'm ready to like actually tackle school and do some stuff. And like, then I went back and, you know, dedicated myself to it and applied myself, I should say, and kind of felt more solid in my footing. But like imposter syndrome, it's funny you said that because I just heard a thing the other day where somebody said, I forget who it was, it was a podcast, but they were like, if you're not feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome, you're probably not trying hard enough. Oh, I like that actually. Like if you feel like you know everything and you just fit mm-hmm. in everywhere, you're mm-hmm. not putting yourself out there in any way. So 
I kind of think it's imposter like putting syndrome. yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, I think you don't think feel like, like you belong, but yeah, grow. I like it. You Thanks. know, when you mentioned the whole thing about how like you went to college for three semesters and then took a break and then you felt prepared. Yeah. Malcolm Knowles is an author of um, like adult learning and like principles of adult learning. And one of the things that he talks about is as adults, young adults, newbies, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes like, it really like timing plays a huge role in when you're ready to receive information. And so it's different than when you're a child or in high school and you're told to go to school from eight to two and you're told to go to this class and you're told to do certain things. As an adult, you really have to, one of the, the five principles he talks about is like uh, learning has to come at the right time when you are really ready to receive that information. Otherwise, if you don't know, uh, if you're not ready to receive that information and you don't know why, you need that information or why that information is relevant, you're going to struggle to uh, learn the information. But from an instructor perspective, it, you're, you're going to struggle teaching or passing on information to the learner. Can I say this also applies to my dating life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you ever try to tell that there friend, it is. <laughs> you know, those friends try to tell you like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. girl, that he's not the one girl, but you're just not, ready, not ready to hear it. So yeah, like me <laughs> right now, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh, I'm curious. Uh, I know that you you had mentioned how like in your dis- dissertation from what I, I think I, I heard you say, like you had talked about strategies or resources and programs that could take place or that universities could kind of implement to help their students be ready. But did your dissertation address anything that, you know, were there anything that, uh, are there any strategies or things that could be implemented before somebody gets to college, like maybe at the high school level or um, at the yeah home social life level? Yeah, so a lot of it was uh, resources more for schools, like programs that were outside, like in high school or even elementary school um, that did like field days or field trips to the university. But the other part was the family component too. And looking at what that family structure looks like about supporting your graduate student or graduate students, uh, because USC was predominantly graduate students. There was more graduate students than there were undergrads. People don't know that, but mm. yeah, it's true. I didn't know that either. Yeah, because it's a research institution. So you're going to have more graduate students than you are going to have undergrad. But it was like really teaching um, and learning about how to best support the person that might be interested in going to college, whether it was at one of these schools or any school. Because you, as a, a lot of mine, all of my students were, uh, participants were, first-generation college students, and some were even first, um, first-generation, like, Americans, too. So it's just like, um, or that they were first-generation uh, American, and they weren't first-gen, but they were deemed first-gen in America because their parent had graduated from university that the U.S. doesn't recognize, like, to transfer credits and things like that. So they recognize them as first-gen, uh, too, So that, which wasn't likely. But a lot of the programs and things and recommendations and implications that I made were for these high school programs, these middle school programs, elementary programs to like really look at like, hey, like maybe you need to rethink what you're doing because it might be coming from a good place, but you are kind of overgeneralizing the student experience based on maybe what you went through, um, but not being current with the current times because what I remember going to ASU or USC is different from 2015 now from what I know. So I know what it was like in 2015, but I don't know what it's like right now. Like when people ask me like, oh, like, how'd you, how'd you like ASU? Like, well, I liked it, but 
I don't know what it is now because I went there in 2009, um, 2013, and then began 2013, 2015. But I don't know what it's like there anymore. So it's like y'all really have to do your own research and talk to people because things change in the student blink of life eye, changes, so student culture changes from year yeah. to year. What are some things oh, that yeah. you said the family component was important? Like, what are some things that, what are some suggestions like for the family component to get them maybe more involved or more supportive? I'm just thinking like it, the type of student you're talking about, like this demographic is probably one that doesn't come from a place that has a lot of like both parents are probably working yeah, they or maybe don't even know what it's like to go job. to college. Right. So, well, yeah. Like, and yeah. they're not there physically to have the time or in the parents don't know how to support you and they don't have things. the skills or the resources yeah, yeah, they are the not aware of tools. You know, yeah so it mainly focus on looking at if your parents are working if they're working multiple jobs trying to support like a stable income like or like stability and keeping a roof over their head keeping food on the table clothes on your back it's like what can they do to support when there's downtime so we focused a lot about what does dinner look like for you do you eat as a family when you go grocery shopping like as, as those ca uh, casual conversations so it's essentially having these casual conversations like with family um, and whether that be over the phone, whether that be someone coming to the house to discuss, or whether that be the student attending a class or the student attending a class with their parent, whether that's virtually or in person, um, just to learn more about how they could best support their student and going. So ASU had a program like that too. It was called um, Future Sun Devil Families. And it would be a whole cohort that lasted about six weeks and would be where the parents were invited with the student. And then essentially um, afterwards, the, you, you could be eligible to receive a scholarship uh, for attending like this program for the student um, that could be applied towards there. So they felt invested that way. Like I get to attend these classes and this is like $5,000 that I don't have to spend out of pocket to support my child. And then I'll know like what to do on my end. So I was really looking at a lot of those and how that intrinsic but also extrinsic motivation might help support that student from a parent's uh, perspective knowing that their life working and supporting like their family even a lot of my participants were coming from single parent households like what that looked like because it's different because now you're working overtime to support this one child or multiple children so mm -hmm. it, each each conversation was a little bit different but overall we're just trying to figure out what time do you have to spend with your family where you can have those conversations about how they could be supportive, like even if it's just for dinner? I, I imagine it's hard for like, I can I can recall times in my life where I don't even know what question to ask. So I think having those types of resources to help them kind of break that down and start those conversations is pretty instrumental. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did this, have you had any, um, follow-up like did it have you seen i guess an impact on graduation rates and things like that from the study i know that i haven't followed up but i know that there were three elementary and high schools uh in la area that utilize the dissertation at least uh segments of it and their uh, college readiness programs and when i presented at a conference in toronto um there was a lot of interest in the research there and looking at my framework, uh, my mar minoritized college readiness uh, framework, and looking at how they could implement their college readiness programs based on that framework on what to include and things like that. So there has been good feedback, but I haven't been follow uh, done follow-up because like I said, research 
could change. Like what I had back then could be like, there's so many like new things that could have been added or built mm -hmm. upon. So I hope it went well for the time that they're able to use it and hope they got more information now that it's better now where they probably don't even need to have it anymore. So now you, you said your research was done based in the California area, right? With the LA, the LA area. Okay, yeah. Do you think that those results kind of translate or can you um, kind of, you know, uh, generalize that to the greater college population or, or maybe even to the Phoenix area? Or have you noticed or observed some of the, some of the, some similarities? A portion, yes. Uh, but since mine focus on highly selective private institutions of higher education, um, it's going to be different because the admittance rate is going to be lower than ASU, which is like 90 something, 99.9%. It feels like, um, but it's going to be different from institutions that might have a higher acceptance rate because the level of rigor that you need to get into that school might be different. So I would hope that certain segments of it, like looking at college readiness programs that that transfers to um, programs to utilize that. But um, as far as like other things within the research, it was looking specifically at um, highly selective institutions of um, higher education that might be other schools like Ivy League schools that could use, um, utilize that research. It would be beneficial to them, I would think. Nice. So in what class are you teaching right now? Are you teaching the women's sexuality course right now? Yes. Can you give me a, a description of that course? Yeah. Yes. So in that class, I will give you like the most general one, unless you want me to pull up my syllabi and read the whole description. Yes, I would like the whole syllabi. <laughs> Miley wants to see some three ring binders. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see the objectives as well as the assignments, the, the schedule and the due, the due dates and deadlines and, you know. <laughs> so I like to think that it's a, a lifespan over um, gender and sexuality. So we look at things that focus on, um, and when I say sexuality, I don't just mean like your orientation. I mean, sexuality in general is like as an act, um, things that we might embody, things that we might things we might think of, things that we might act upon in that way. So it's looking at how sexuality is related in disability, how sexuality is related in aging. Um, so we talk about um, elderly or old aging adults, like, and what sex looks like for them. Uh, we talk about different orgasms. We talk about different um, stimulations. We talk about um, like gender as a construct. We talk about gender as a perform, uh, gender as a performative. We talk about um, gender roles, gender norms, uh, gender non-binary, just different aspects, like everything related to gender and sexuality together, that class focuses on. But since it's so large, those big conversations happen in smaller groups, like when it's in person. I was going to say, yeah. what fascinates me the most is I'm really curious how you teach this. Like, I don't think this is a class people? that you can just... I, I, I don't imagine this class is just a class where you stand at the front of the room and just lecture at every class. Like, I'm very curious to hear how you, how you actually teach this and, and facilitate, like you mm. said, facilitate uh, discussion as well as experiences, right? Yeah. So that they can really truly understand and learn. So they have, um, I have research and like articles backed up and then some YouTube uh, videos and channels and TED Talks and things like that, just to keep it interesting and keep the content going and relevant too. So we focus on things uh, such as like, the Me Too movement, uh, slut shaming, um, like gender policing and everything 
um, in those areas. So that and the conversations that happen, like letting the students talk about those. So I'm like, I present, here's what research, here's what society, here's what's going on with this topic. Now let's have a discussion. Let's have a conversation about it. Because in that, like with as many students that are in there, you are bound to have like some clashing. Um, I remember like one class they got into like, oh, you're just a trust fund, baby. You don't know anything about like the real life or this and that. And then like as a physician, I'm like, okay, let's like, let's bring it in and let's dig deeper on that. Why would you like, what makes that different from like their experiences different from this? So, I mean, it's like those hard conversations that happen because there's so many different personalities in there. That's why like making the group smaller where they could have the dialogue with each other and then coming out and maybe reporting back on one to two and then having a larger discussion on some of those topics that they talk about in that group. So I love making a big class feel very small. Um, Creating so safe spaces. Sometimes you start small to, you know, and create a safe space and then you get bigger and bigger. So then yeah. you build trust as you do that. And too. some people like me, I might never talk if I was in a ginormous group like that. Oh, I just, yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to sit back and listen, to be honest, unless somebody really really got me worked up about some topic or, well, and I was well, like, I is imagine, somebody gonna shut this down yeah. well <laughs> like, what I imagine is probably like if you were in Josh's class you'd probably speak up if it was a group of like five people talking on a subject that, or a, a question yeah. he posed and then someone from your group of five would then report to the bigger group but you may not be the one that reports but you might be more likely to speak up in that group of five and I mean, no. at 40, I'm, I'm pretty vocal about anything in any situation, but I'm thinking of myself at like yes. 18 to at 18, 20. 19, yeah. Mm -hmm. like, like I would have just been so fine to sit back and yeah. listen and not pay attention if it was like a huge group, but like a smaller group, I definitely would feel more um, apt to like jump in and join the conversation and contribute ideas versus mm -hmm. um, sit back and just nod my head and agree or silently shake my head and be like, this person's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then we also have like some... Um... I get a, a, every now and then like some misogynists that join the class and okay. they're looking to learn. However, some of them are stuck in their ideologies. They just want to be misogynist just to be misogynist or chauvinistic just to be chauvinist. Like, so it, it, it depends like on the learning and how you kind of tailor and engage like with that, uh, those particular students that are like that. Like, are you here to learn? Are you here to engage? Um, like when you do comment and like I have to pull some aside, like when you do say things like this, like you have to understand like how this could be perceived as offensive. And if you don't understand that, let me explain why. Um, and this isn't a matter of opinion, it's a matter of like fact, like because these are the harsh realities of what people face every day and your privilege is allowing you to say these things. So the first class I really looked down like breaking down privilege, whatever that looks like in any capacity. We don't do a privilege walk. We don't do an oppression walk. We don't do any of those activities. It's just like a more of a self-realization of what privilege looks like to you and like to really bring down your barriers, allow yourself to get uncomfortable because when you're uncomfortable, that's the room that you're gonna grow in. So I always try to lead every class like that uh, with a few discussions like to make them uncomfortable and then just go at it like from there. I like that. Get them out of their comfort zone. Make them oh, talk yeah. about difficult stuff. No <laughs> comfort in the growth zone, no growth in the comfort zone. That's one of Miley's mantras. Southern comfort. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she brought it back. <laughs> she picked that up in Georgia years ago. Yeah. How long ago? Georgia, when I was doing my master's in education, uh, 15, 13, 14, 14, 15, 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. It's the mm -hmm. only thing she brought back from Georgia. <laughs> 
I love that that course. That sounds really exciting and really, really fun. Is I that the only sorry, in is, person? Yeah. Is that the only so course you it. teach right now? Uh, uh, this semester, yes. I usually uh, sometimes will do like an intro to Africana studies, mm. but um, and that's within another department in the same school. But there is that your uh, sorry. Go ahead. Hmm? Oh, go ahead. You had mentioned earlier that Africana studies is really your primary goal. Is that is that what you said earlier? Oh no no! I wanted to get into that field, like, but this one was fine. That mm. I should have rephrased. So I initially, when they wanted me, they bought me into the school. They bought me in to do Africana studies. However, there wasn't a teaching opportunity, but they've been trying to get me in that uh, school forever. So they don't want to let me go. So they said, well, we have these classes if you can teach these instead. And then when the opportunity comes up for Africana studies, you can teach those. So very um, seldomly I'll teach like an Africana studies course, but yeah. What is your- like pretty excited, yeah. I'm sorry, Maya. It sounds like you're excited to be teaching the course that you're teaching now. I mean, it's, it's good. Like I, like updating every now and then, but I just miss teaching it in person because online is not the same. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But in person, like you get more, like you can feel more because my structure for exams is different. So mm -hmm. online, I have to do exams because it's hard to grade what I would do uh, for in person. So in person, there's no exams. So there's no final exam, there's no midterm exam. Their midterm and their final exam is essentially whatever way that they want to convey uh, their learning, whatever they got from the course. So that could be a podcast, that could be a YouTube Ooh. channel, that could be videos, that could be, be spoken word, it could be poetry, it could be song, yeah. it could be art. Uh, art. Um, but if it's art, there has to be like some dialogue attached to it. Of so I'm like, you're not gonna like paint a circle and like, oh, this is my- Oh, that's like, exactly what I was no, gonna like, do. Can you have some context to it? <laughs> it's a circle, um, I feel so whole. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, okay, I feel tell complete. me more. <laughs> You so almost like think, think that, you know, I really like that. And you could still do that over Zoom somewhat. But not for 600 students. Like, Yeah, I, that's true. I would not listen because yeah. the podcast has to be like between 30 mm. minutes if it's one person and an hour if it's two people that you're doing okay. it with. Mm -hmm. And imagine 600 students like yeah, listening that's true. to Because a lot of them chose that option. So I was you like, I... Some, like Sorry, super favorite like female influencers, influencers, like are there any voices that you particularly enjoy like when you ref referencing people in your class? Uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. Well, I don't know her. Me she either. is the one that coined the term intersectionality. Mm. Um, her and Adichie Ndoza Chimamanda. Okay. That was a mouthful. Um, Say that five times fast. I know. So I, I hope I don't butcher her name, but she's the one um, that talks about feminism and uh, her talks, like TED Talks. And then um, she was on the Beyonce's uh, uh, Who Run the World. Like she would give like that intro. That's her. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. But it was like feminist. Yeah, it's like when she talks like feminist and then like it explains like what that person does, like what a feminist is and then Beyonce gets into who runs the world, but that's that's her. That's Chimamanda. Okay, I'm going to look up both of these people. I hope our listeners do too. Yeah, so especially what is... because that term is relatable to every facet of your life because you are an intersectional being because you are not defined by one thing. You are many things. Like you could be a female. You could also be... Uh, queer, you could also be a truck driver, you could also be a golfer, you could be so many things. So it's just, there's a crossroads, like the person, and you have all these crossroads. So that's what she means by intersectionality, like you don't have to be 
defined by this one thing because there's so many things that make you who you are. Right. Like Miley's not just an Asian woman. No. Like she's a dentist, a, a teacher, an entrepreneur, a first generation, a daughter. Yes. There's yes. so many asset or assets, aspects. No, aspects, facets. I have assets too. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I have many assets Stand up. and let assets. me see. <laughs> There are so many facets to you, I think is the word I want. You know, I think, uh, uh, you know, I I was in this program called Valley Leadership. And one of the uh, facilitators that presented to us one day was talking about how we are made up of so many different stories. And so like she, you know, she uses the word stories in very much the same way. She said, like, um, I could tell you the story of a little girl that grew up with a single parent. I could tell you the story of a little girl that grew up disabled. I could also tell you the story of a little girl that grew up um, very timid and shy, but when she learned how to sing, that's that was her voice. And I will tell you that this little girl is all the same, like all of these girls from these stories is the same girl. And so it talks about like, you are made up of so many different stories that make up who you are and where you've come from and who you are today. It's like where they all meet today mm -hmm. is what you are. Yeah. They reminded me of Kamala Harris, like when she's like, you remember that little girl? That little girl was me. Like when all her uh, her debates and everything. So I'm that little girl. <laughs> We're so lucky to yes. have her. I was curious. So what is maybe your next step or your ultimate goal with uh, academia or with your, you know, day job? Oh, with uh, it's not Africana studies. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so my my full time job. So teaching is part time. My full time is I'm an admin at a graduate school for behavioral health studies. Oh. So I oversee their student services division. That's my full time. But with ASU, I've been thinking that if things really shoot off, because I don't want to stop teaching, but at the same time, like I also have to understand that I'm only one person too. So if things go up, yeah, with the vegan Phoenix stuff or the Phoenix vegan stuff, and it requires more time, then I'd really have to evaluate where I need to be spending less time in. And that's not going to be my full-time job because I love what I do there. Um, also love teaching. I love baking. Um, and I love doing like the, the um, entrepreneur stuff with the Phoenix vegan stuff, but it's also finding a balance and making sure that I can devote enough time because I can't be everywhere at once. Um, so it's just like a dilemma that I have in my head because I was thinking, now try not to ever compare myself to other people. But in this instance, I was like, man, like this person is known like specifically like, for this. This person is known specifically for this. Like, I feel like I'm known depending on what hat I wear around what community or circle that I'm in. That's what they know me for. Um, unless like they are like my friend, like, so Mandy like knows like a lot of things that I do in like the different areas of my life, whatever, but not everyone knows that. They just think, oh, I thought you just baked or, oh, I thought you just taught or, oh, I thought you just, um, like was a, a grad school admin. I'm like, no, like I do more than that. So it, it's just me finding a balance in these things or letting something go um, that is gonna be eventually deteriorating to um, my mental wellness and well-being because I'm trying to do too much at once. There's a lot of overlap between Josh and I's 
current stories, I guess the last couple of years, <laughs> perhaps why we, um, whenever we get on the phone for like a quick five minute conversation, it's like 35 to 40 minutes. Cause we're like <laughs> stories overlapping. It's like full-time this, part-time this, baking this, I'm doing the podcasting. He's teaching ASU. Like he's trying to run this Phoenix vegan night market. I'm like on this entrepreneurial kick. I'm like, I'm going to go back and get my wine certificate. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's like true. we're always like, we, you, we're, we're uh, birds of a similar feather, so to speak. It's like, we are always kind of chasing that thing. And um, I, I kind of work hard. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would say I work hard. I don't know. Sometimes I'm, I'm my own worst critic. I, say I work pretty hard to make sure that like my social media presence is really kind of aware of all of the things I'm doing. And it's not to brag or toot my own horn, but it's like, I am doing other things. Like this isn't the only thing I do. So if you're shooting me a message about cake and I don't get back to you for 24 hours, it's cause I'm busy. It's not cause I don't want to get to you. Or if you're like my, you know, my friends have come to really understand that like, I can't just drop everything and be free on a whim or the drop of a hat. You know, it's like, you have to literally book time with me as weird as that sounds it's like my happy hours and my dinners and fun time gets penciled in it's it's really hard even with dating like I I have a hard time dating I've had a hard time dating because I was so tied to the business for years and like like you were explaining before you know COVID forced you into a little bit of a break it was like same I would just take all of the orders that came my way and because I wanted to do it and I was like so excited for it and then I got to the point where I was like, Ooh, I forgot that I would enjoy having a life. So I want to date. I want to have a life. I want to do things that aren't standing in this kitchen related. And, um, so yeah, it becomes like a little bit of shifting priorities and figuring out the, the new balance, like work-life balance is one of the things that I love hearing people mention. Cause I'm like, it's fake, fake news work-life balance doesn't exist. It's a total fucking myth to keep you in the rat race and running on the hamster wheel. It's like, it just doesn't exist. It's not one thing for anybody. It's what works for you. Like working a 40 hour job, eight to five and that's it. And then coming home and hanging out with your kids and cooking dinner and, you know, running around on the weekends, taking them to soccer. That might be great for some people. To me, that sounds so terrible. (laughs) I can't imagine just one or two things like that being enough for my brain. When I saw like this whole chart too, and it was like, all right, so make a circle. And then like you draw all the things that you're responsible for and all the things that you want to achieve or aspire to do. And then what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to make, try to draw a circle. But then if you're not paying like too much or focus on this thing, like that circle becomes kind of squiggly and um, you're supposed to make like a round circle. So then you end up like with like a glob um, like someone just like threw like a glob at you and it's like uh, all over the place. And then you like, okay, like I know I need to be putting more energy into this because I see I have a lot of energy here so I can keep this energy here, but mainly focus on these other areas. And I know for me, that's kind of like what I'm thinking about like with a lot of the responsibilities that I have now. It's like, all right, like I have energy here, but I need to also focus my energy on these because I'm not giving enough attention. So that could even be family. That could be, Um, my health, that could be like exercise, wellness, things like that too, that I've been neglecting. Um, So I would say for any of your viewers um, or even you two, like if you never tried it before, it is, I felt like for me, it was very effective to see kind of like what 
I was missing out on because of everything else that I was missing on other things that were very important to me in order to stay healthy and to be able to do these things. Cause if you don't have your health, like all this other stuff is like, yeah. it doesn't matter. My, like, my brother has this, my brother's really into mantras. And one of the things that he says is like, there's no wealth without health. And when he says wealth, he doesn't mean like wealth as in money necessarily, but wealth as in the things that are important to you that make you, that make your life rich and full. Mm -hmm. And so, um, a lot of the decisions he makes. And when he helps me make decisions, he's always, you know, reminding myself like your health, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, whatever, like your health is most important. And you, you can't receive wealth in your life or quality of life, unless you are taking care of your mental well-being, your physical well-being, things like that. Yeah. I, and I, I missed health as well for like a whole year. (laughs) Like I have, I probably had a whole year where I did one to two workouts a month. That is so more than me. (laughs) I mean, and that is like abysmal. I mean, I, I was used to, I was coming out of doing spin classes, like three days a week as a general rule, sometimes a fourth one, you know, like I was used to like getting that cardio in there and go walking to the farmer's market and just doing all sorts of things. And I, I'm a cardio junkie. I love cardio. I like working in some weights, but like, so I bought a spin bike and I was like, Nope, I'm going to have this in my house and I'm going to be able to spin regardless of some spin studios schedule. I don't need your schedule. I can spin anytime I want to. So now I get to spin like three, four days a week again. And, uh, yeah. And I know people look at workouts as like a pain in the ass and things, something that they dread, but I, there's no denying how good your brain feels when you are done with a workout. Like it's something you've accomplished in your day, regardless of how the rest of your day went. Like Josh was like, my day was so, so (laughs) today, but like, regardless of how the rest of your day went, when you accomplish a workout, it's like, you feel great. You're making me want to go like to Tempe Town Lake and go bike around and run or something. <laughs> I might do that after I'm like, because I'm going to go drop off these cookies over there probably after I print labels, but I kind of want to go bike or walk around or something. Yeah, now. get some fresh air. Honestly, there's Good weather. nothing. It always makes me feel better. Like a, a Pilates class or a spin class, I used to do all the time. I, it's just, and also if you're used to being somebody who's always giving a lot of orders and um, I like giving orders, bossing people around. Like if you're used to directing traffic all day, like managing big groups of students and whoever, like 45 minutes where I don't have to think about anything and make a decision on something other than getting out there and sweating is such a, it just lightens Freedom. the load. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked a little bit about your, uh, teaching and, uh, you know, do, can we talk a little bit about, your road to developing and creating indulge? Yes. How much time do you have? I have time. Um, okay. I, tell I've us- been planning to go eat, but. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about indulge and like, let it lead right into the um, night market. Yeah. Okay. So with indulge, um, so when I started, like I said before, like turnips and beets turned into indulge because that was my catchphrase at the end of every like blog post was, all right, indulge responsibly. Um, So that started because of health and things. And then I was like, you know, like I really wanted to start a business out of that. So after I think I talked to Mandy, I talked to you before I started too, I feel like, because I went to Zen Nights, I talked to you um, and I went to Zen Nights to kind of see like what was out there because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Like if 
people are already doing this. I know there's a way that you can do it too, but I want to do something a little bit differently. So uh, my thing was like really focusing on organic and like mainly all natural, trying to source like locally as much as possible um, ingredients and turning those into like bakes and stuff for everybody. So I started November 2nd or November 6th, one of the two days um, at the 6th Street Market in Tempe. And that's also the same day that one of my best friends, Genesis from Basima Sweet Treats started her business. So we launched both of our businesses at that same market, the same time. And I looked across, I was like, there's another black vegan baker across the way. And I was like, I was like, we are out here. Like, I was like, I thought like, cause like when you hear vegan, like you don't, I just thought it was like more of like a privileged thing. Um, the more I learned about it, but then it's like after a while, like, you know, that it's like a, a freedom thing. And there's like so much attached to it that what it could be. Um, but I was like, saw it like something like, I was like, oh, I would never call myself a vegan because like they are entitled, they're this and that. But then after learning and like being one, like I really got more into like understanding like why um, and really dismantling those theories. So like with the baking, everything, I really put a lot of that uh, thought into it. So mainly trying to be um, like soul food, like S-O-L-E, so sustainable, organic, local and ethical uh, for my products and everything like that too. And then, um, just opportunities left and right emerged. I uh, started doing wholesale and I don't know why I did that. Um, Cause that was, I was like, oh heck yeah. Like I always want to have my product in the store. But then like after doing it for like six months, so yeah, this is cool. I'm getting more clients. And then after a year and I'm like, oh fuck this. Like this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that little hamster, didn't you? Yeah. And I was like, I just like working for everybody. And I, I felt like, dang, I, I don't have any time for me and this and that. So I, um, uh, but this is all part of growing pains, I think. You know, I've never started my own business, but I would like to think that, like, you know, you you think that's the next step, so you try it out, and then you find out if it's for you, and if it's not for you, then you take a step back and you reevaluate and you take a different step. Hundred percent. Like the only way to figure out where right. you want to be is to try a little bit of right. everything. And I feel like that's yeah. just a natural progression as you grow a business. Even though I've never started a business, I would imagine that you know that's part of growing and learning and. Um, I just didn't know, you know. If that was gonna be my next step. Like, then I didn't even know if that was. I think it was because yeah. someone said, "Oh, you should like sell yourself." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, like okay. I'll try it." It's and a little then, appealing. Like, the wholesale thing's a little appealing in that you're not waiting for orders to come in. So wholesale, if anybody is curious about vendors that wholesale we typically sell our food for a slightly reduced fee so that then the, um, you know, the point, point of purchase, it, they can sell it for like kind of a retail price, so to speak. So they make a little bit of profit, but they're, they're kind of taking the hit. Like they're buying it all from us upfront. It's not a consignment situation, but we also get a for sure sale, right? Like you're not sitting around kind of waiting on orders to come in. Um, so that's a little bit appealing, but yeah, when it's running you ragged and you're doing it three to four nights a week and it's not your full-time gig but it is your full-time gig it's like it's kind it yep. feels like you're drowning a little bit you're like holy like I sneezed and flour came out of my nose like this is not okay I remember blowing my nose once and it was cocoa powder I was like <laughs> y'all this is doing damage I know it <laughs> I was like I'm about to start wearing a mask and then when I started baking for big events when I would do like 60 dozen cupcakes and cookies and stuff in one day I would start wearing a dust mask because I was like, dude, I'm going to be in, I'm going to have that baker's lung. They call it baker's lung where you have flour. And I forget about lungs. that too. Like, like as much as I bake and I was like, if you like even like do a flick of flour, 
like you can see the particles go everywhere and i'm like that's just a flick of flower and no wondering okay because you remember i used to when i first started i was not a mechanic baker i baked everything traditionally by hand mm -hmm. i did not use a machine for anything and mandy's <laughs> like how's your wrist like because i will wear like my uh my copper um that i still wear to this day like around my my wrist whatever just because um i mean it helps like with blood flow and everything mm -hmm. So she was like, you really have to invest in getting a KitchenAid or mixer because like she's like so much easier. And I was like, I'm just used to doing it like by hand and everything. So once I got the mixer, it changed the game for everything. Um, the only thing I still make by hand is the cinnamon rolls because I like being traditional in that sense with enriched dough. Mm -hmm. um, but everything else, like if it's like cakes or um, I think scones are the other thing that I make uh, by hand too. So I think scones... Uh, cinnamon rolls, any type of roll um, or bread, I will make by hand. I will not use a dough hook. I will not use the KitchenAid for that. But cookies, cakes, and all the other stuff, like that's all going in the KitchenAid. Funny, cakes I actually still do by hand, but it's because I bake such big batches. I don't have a KitchenAid big enough for that in my house. I just bought the Pro and it's very nice. What that's size one, is it? Because mine, uh, I had the, the tilt. So the tilt one is where like the head, the bulk of it, the head of it comes back and then you put the wire risk on. But the base of it was like, you have to kind of turn and adjust your mm -hmm. um, your bowl, your court bowl into the little grooves on there. But with the pro, it sits in these hooks and it yeah. latches onto the back. So when you mix, you don't have to worry about those hinges coming off mm -mm. and like your dough going comes loose and oh so my many gosh. times so many times i, was like, I have a i have one of the pros like with the orange cord like it can go in a commercial kitchen i think it's only i mean i was going to say only some people are like what the but it's like it's a 10 quart so it's a big it's a big i call it the mama i have like I the five quart <laughs> i have the five quart and then i have the 10 quart and i call it the mama the, there's my mommy and my daddy mixers and the mama's the big one <laughs> yeah, I need that because like for the night market, that would have been perfect. It was, actually, but, no, take that back. But I still wouldn't be able to fit four dozen. Like I mix, I have huge mixing bowls and I'll do four dozen cupcake batches at a time. Like I usually just put out my big bowls. I do all my measuring at once. And like, it's very mechanical. And because well, even with the big one that I have, I can only do a dozen cookies at a time. Like yeah. I can't put more than that because like you saw how big my cookies are. Yeah. Like, I, I, I can't. <laughs> do more than two dozen in there like josh's cookies um for anyone who doesn't know they're like the size of a whopper junior <laughs> i don't know what else would be a good yeah <laughs> like a chicken sandwich like i don't know like like they're they're a big ass could they weigh like a half a pound or something they're how much did you tell me for me to weigh it i think it was i forgot how much it i mean because i think i measured it and ounces but i forgot how much it was but yeah because i was like how much do these cookies weigh dude they're huge because i was doing like big three ounce cookies and i was like these cookies are giant and i think it was like one. six ounces yeah you weighed one and it was damn near six ounces <laughs> <laughs> like, you really are indulging when you eat josh's cookies that was irresponsibly like i mean because like the irresponsibly comes from the soul part which some people are like why irresponsible isn't responsible because it's like vegan and everything you're doing it's like yeah but irresponsible in the way that you could enjoy as much as you want mm -hmm. and work as much as you want so you could be irresponsible with it knowing that you're buying like in good faith and mm. like what you're doing is like supporting like local farmers and um it's organic it's sustainable it's local and all my packages all of my packages are compostable too so 
it's yeah. so awesome that that stuff has like gone biodegradable and compostable these days. Like nothing makes me happier than oh yeah compostable packaging. And like I love it. <laughs> really? Yeah, they're uh, biodegradable. But I don't know if I showed you, but they I use the business cards that have seeds in them. So it's over 150 different seeds. Um, or no, not 150. Over 11, 15 different seeds inside the card. So there's like wildflower there's daisy there's chamomile Ooh. Um, there's different types of flowers that's that you really can neat grow. so if you get hungry are you like snacking on <laughs> that's what i was just thinking right now i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i love that you're trying to like fuck it up with some big six ounce cookies and then you're like but it's biodegradable and it's vegan <laughs> so well, i tell them i give my business card and i was like just put this in there a little water and then just put it in the ground see what happens yeah. Let's see what happens wait do they really grow your business yeah. cards Oh my gosh. I tried two of them just to make sure and they sprouted and they start growing. I think I got a couple of flowers from one of them. That's amazing. I killed That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I told her to go dumpster diving. Actually, oh, no, that was oh. the poinsettia. Yeah. So I told Miley today when she got here, I was like, I killed the, I think I killed the aloe plant and the ba the bamboo's still alive, but the poinsettia's dead. And she says, maybe the poinsettia is just sleeping. I mean, it only grows and blooms during the winter. So maybe it's sleeping right now. And then she goes, well, it's, it's sleeping, sleeping in, in the dumpster. dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, poor little plant. It's thinking, oh, here I am just minding my own business sleeping. And then I wake up and I'm in the dumpster. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, well, it's just taking a nap. It's just dormant right now. It's yeah. not in season. I was like, oh, it's sleeping in the dumpster. Well, that's how like I I I have these two orchid plants that have just been dormant for the like for two years, and I just kept watering it, and then one day it blossomed to blood, and then like three orchid flowers, and now it's back to dormant, and it's just. I think it's, well, I really killed it, but I'm still watering humidity. it. Those are high humidity plants. So Oh, Josh is uh, like the plant king. Oh, oh I started just planting. Me that we're talking I just about got plants. a wandering Jew last week. What? Do you know what a wandering Jew is? It's really I pretty. I have a purple one. Is it the appropriate name? For it is. Yeah. Well, no, the well, actual there's, name there's is like Transvier Tierra Rubens. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and I also have a, a one of my friends, Katie Martin, she propagated her monstera and gave me uh, some root and stem stuff. So I'm going to grow a monstera. And then I have two succulents because, you know, hopefully they don't die on me. I'm very good at killing plants. No one can see, but Josh is looking around his house right now as Miley's naming plants. And I know he's counting up his plants right now. He's like, I have 97 house plants. <laughs> Uh, 200 over 250. Oh my no God. way. I want to <laughs> come visit. I'm inviting myself over. Whenever I see him posting at a plant shop or something, I just send him a text and I'm like, intervention. intervention. <laughs> well, I just got this one that's hanging above my head. It's a silver splash. That's a type of pothos, but it's like very like long. Ooh, I like, mm -hmm. I like plants that hang down the, the leafy. I would love um, a little installation on my wall. There's a local company, I forget his name. And he does these little installations on the wall with air plants, like shit that I don't really need to take care of much. That's, Those are hard to take care of. <laughs> they're hard to take care of. I thought I just could like spray them and throw them on and then put them back on Those the wall for a while. like to be submerged in water twice a week for 45 minutes. Air plants? That's a lot of work. Why do they call them air plants? Well, I mean, they grow like naturally like on trees in the air, but it's just you so like some people like, like, I, I hate when they put the adhesive on there and stick it in something like, to make it like look fancy was like, no, it's gonna die eventually or dry yeah. out. But they need right. moisture, they need to be soaked. I'm, I'm gonna get a fake plant. <laughs> 
I'm going to get fake plants and put them on my wall installation. <laughs> I can't. So I threw the poinsettia away because the sticks looked dead and I, I just couldn't take looking at it. I felt like a failure and I just, I couldn't look at it. I was like, it's got to go. Yeah. Sometimes so I'll come back. It. Sometimes it's just like, you know, out of their season. Those I are gonna say the ones that do come back um, are the tulips. Like, cause you could take the bulbs from those and make sure they're dried out. And then when it's tulip season, like right now, then you could replant them and then they'll Oh, back my mom's tulips are coming up my mom has a green thumb i didn't get any of it the only plant that i had that i grew for a couple of years i was given by a coworker a long long time ago my mom came over to my house breaks a little piece of it off takes it home throws it in water does this whole propagating thing it gets roots she builds a big plant like a month later my plant died i said you took the only good part of my plant <laughs> beef i was like you stole the only healthy part of my plant that's the only excuse <laughs> It's the only way this could have happened. So wait, we interrupted you on your indulge irresponsibly. I don't know where we left off. Oh yeah. And then we were going to kind of, uh, kind of dive right into the night market thing too. So. Yeah. How you got to okay. planning yeah. this market. Um, so with the indulge, I think that was pretty much it. Like I'm in a space now where I'm trying to figure out like, I want to call it pivot, like more of a pirouette um, or sachet or like, I'm just trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, I don't, I know I don't want to let it down because every time like I think about like, oh, like I'm going to take a break and then someone posts like, I just had the most like amazing cookie, blah, 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 this. And um, my, my wife was having a bad day and then I bought her home a cookie and then just like changed her. And it's like, I, I, I don't like, I'm going to miss that. Like if I don't do that, but then I also shouldn't be responsible for like those little joys either. But I mean, I, I would be, I'm happy for the joys that happen, but like there's other people that could bring joy the same way that one of my cookies can, but I don't feel like I should be responsible for it. I think, I think you'll know when it's time to like lay it down. Right. Like that's how I feel about my mm -hmm. cake business. It's like, it's not felt right to just stop it entirely at this point. I've got it to a point where it's very manageable and I'm good with it. Um, and it just doesn't feel right to stop it just yet. I think, I think yeah. if, and when that time comes, I will know, or if, and when all of a sudden I'm going to make it something bigger, like I will know. Well, because my cousin, like, we talked for, like, hours on the phone, but she was like, you know what, this is, like, your baby, like, you, like, bought this thing out of nothing, and, like, you turned it into this, like, big thing, and now, um, like, you you could get to that point, like, because, like, people know who you are, what you do, what the business is, that you could even get to the point, like, where you could just hire people and just manage, like, I think that's the goal for a lot of businesses, like, you could get to the point where you just oversee and manage operations, but I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to do that. Um, cause I, it's just, there's other endeavors and baking was nice for a while, but like when I close my eyes and I open them, I like think five years later, 10 years later, I don't necessarily see baking in there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm, I am in a place where I'm doing some soul searching with the business because I want to leave people with the blessings of the business, like the blessings that I've got from it. I'm not blessings like, well, I give you permission, but like the blessings that I received from like baking. So I was thinking like, maybe that could be in cooking demos. Maybe that could be a recipe book. Maybe that could be um, where it's just like commercial. And then like I sell dough or whatever like that. I don't know whatever that looks like. So that's what I'm trying to figure out right now when it comes to indulge responsibly. Nice. And then you're taking this food business sort of in a different direction with Vegan Phoenix. Yes. Tell us a little bit about this market that's coming. So it is a hopeful tentative market. Um, Mandy knows how 
stressed I've been with permits and everything, um, just trying to get back and forth from like two different departments, three, 18 different departments in the city. And um, I was like, farmer's market shouldn't be this hard. Like I keep going back to that. So uh, I envisioned for it. And I, I think that I, I tell people this, like that, that are looking to start businesses in Phoenix that are local. And I was like, you know, it's important that we build and establish a vegan presence here in the Valley because once the other corporations or businesses start moving more into the city because they see potential, they see opportunity, then they're going to bring in like their businesses and their people and their clients and their uh, like everything, their experience. And then it's going to really make our businesses look kind of like minuscule or smaller in a way. So it's important to really highlight and promote our businesses so they can see, oh, Phoenix already has a well-established vegan community or vegan scene there. Um, and then these businesses that come into, I'm not opposed to them, it's just add to it, like just add to what's already here, like add to what's already existing. Um, and then like still support like these local businesses because I think that's gonna be the important part. So with the Phoenix uh, Vegan Night Market, I'm hoping to really highlight a lot of uh, local businesses um, in that way and also having produce options for them to shop because I, um, you think of any other night market, like you don't, like there's no like fresh produce that you could get there. Like you think vegan food, like, oh, okay, like I would actually wanna buy produce too. Um, like, so I could take home, like in addition to like the food that I got. So having like some produce options there, having some essential items there um, that people could purchase. So it could be like a genuine like night market, like a farmer's market, but at night um, happening in the Valley. So the hopeful destination is still gonna be Central Phoenix off of Central and Roosevelt. What will take place every second Saturday from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And um, I am currently, so I currently have a meeting on Monday with uh, Thingo Sunny, the COVID committee uh, for special events that is under the city manager. And I get to pitch, well, not pitch, but just more um, discuss discuss the event. And then they give the approval, approval stipulations or denial. They're like, what's your COVID plan? Yeah, which I sent them like my detailed plan about spacing and everything and capacity and everything like that. So my only hope is that the vendors um, that I do get are following CC guidelines because the last thing I want to do is draw negative attention yeah, to the event. Compromise um, what you're building. Yeah. Um, so it's like if you like are like against wearing masks, like just decide, just don't bend until um, like it's safe to like come back and not wear masks, whatever like that, even though if you think they work or not, but it's just like for this event, masks are required. And if you don't want to wear masks, just like maybe wait until masks aren't required and then come back and bend. That's, Stay at that home, send, yeah. send a friend that is willing to wear a yeah. mask. Yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, I want to highlight businesses, but at the same time, it's like people need to feel safe. And if masks yeah. wearing people feel like, if it makes people feel safe, then that's what we're going to do. If CDC says it, then that's like the rules of the land. Like we're going to, we're going to abide by that. So. Right. And uh, I won't get on a tangent about masks, but like nobody, even the people who wear them is <laughs> the puppy. Um, like even us who wear them all the time, all day long, yeah. like, it's not like we love wearing masks no. and we're not wearing them to be like obedient citizens or some nonsense, like not wearing it to like give up my freedom. Oh, this nonsense arguments. I'm wearing a mask because it protects me and it protects you. And if it makes other people feel safe, then I'm all yeah. for that. And mm -hmm. also I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, go ahead and tell me masks don't work, but I have a staff of 50 people and no one has had the flu this year. 
<laughs> not a single flu. Boom. <laughs> and I have like, I mean, we have people out with the flu every other week through flu season. It's end of March and I have no flu. So go ahead and tell me masks don't work. I will kind of, uh, you know, rant. I'm not going to, yes, end <laughs> rant. Uh, I do want to say thank you so much for all of your hard work on the whole night market. I, uh, I can't imagine, I have a little taste of, I, you know, I, I've had a little taste of what it's like to organize an event like that, but yours is way much bigger than I've ever done and involved. And so I can't even imagine how much hard work, blood, sweat, tears you've put into it. And, and it's because you care so much <laughs> and it's because it's, it means so much, it's so much, you're, you know, it's so much bigger than you, right? Like yeah. this yeah. is not, and it's so much bigger than the, the vendors too. It's, it's, there's a bigger picture. There's a future there's, um, you know, the, you're investing in this vision that you have and that, that you have for everyone involved in the community. And, and so kudos to you and keep up the hard work and, you know, stay, you know, stay strong. You're great. This is amazing. I I'm think proud you of just you. hit the nail on the head as far as like the voice. I, Josh was saying, he's kind of looking for that voice and that impact that he wants to leave behind. And that's, that's kind of part of mine is like to be a part of something that's much bigger, bigger than, than me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and give yeah. giving back in some yeah. way. And I think Josh is pretty similar. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Like this is like my why. This is definitely mm -hmm. like my why. And it's like I I get like you can like what you're doing, but like if you like and get why you're doing it, um, then I think that's like a difference instead of just like, oh yeah, I like vending here because I get to do this and that. But it's like I get while I'm vending here, like I get what I'm doing, like I'm making an, a positive impact in the community. I'm changing minds, I'm changing perspectives. Like I even like remember, like I took my cupcake, um, not my cupcake, but Mandy's cupcake to my mom, and she's like, "This is vegan." I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> like you know, yeah. like, because then like I tell people, it's like you when you bite into a cake, like do you want to taste eggs? Like, no, like what do eggs serve as? It's a binding agent. So it's just like, you think vegan, it's a, it's a science, but it's like, there are certain things that you don't want to taste. Like, do you want to taste baking soda? No, what does it do? It's a leavening agent. But it's just like things like that, that I tell people, it's like, you have to change your mindset. Even if you're not vegan, it's just certain things with just being like conscious about like your decisions, what you decide to educate and like think about um, or shun because like you aren't familiar with it or like you think vegan food is like nasty or disgusting. Like, no, it's just your mindset. Like it's whatever you've been conditioned to believe. Like you're not gonna sit there and eat like an unseasoned piece of chicken. Like, no, like you want it because of the flavor and things that go into the same thing you could do with tofu, the same thing you could do with cauliflower, the same thing you do with any other vegetable. It's just the mindset has to change or you just make those conscious decisions. So. Yeah, a boiled piece of chicken is just as nasty as a plain piece of tofu. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> and mushrooms. Josh hates mushrooms. I love mushrooms. I'll have all your mushrooms. You can. Somebody, somebody online posted something about oyster mushrooms the other day, and she was not into the texture, and she kind of described it in a way that like literally gave me the shivers because I'm pretty fussy about mushrooms, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't want any of that. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for joining us tonight. Um, are there any last comments or anything you'd like our listeners to uh, to know? And please throw out your handles where we can yes. find you. Uh, no, it was a pleasure. Can you hear me? Because this is my connection is unstable. We hear you. Okay, cool. Um, so I want to thank both of you for having me here and giving me this platform to 
talk and get to know y'all more and then get to hear get my story out and just things that I've been working on. So yeah, my handles, uh, you could reach me on Instagram um, at Vegan Phoenix or at Black Phoenix Vegan or at Indulge Responsibly. And then the one for the Phoenix Night Market is going to be at PHXVNM, but that one's, um, it's a blocked private account for now. But uh, outside of that, you could also reach me via email at PHXVegan at gmail.com and or on the web at PhoenixVegan.com. Phoenix Vegan all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll be sure to tag all of this in our show notes as well. So anyone listening can uh, read the show notes and find Josh that way. And obviously I'll tag him and we'll be sharing things on Instagram. So keep an eye out for those things. Thank you, Josh, for hanging thank out you, with thank us. You, thank you, thank you. Have fun doing your deliveries tonight. Enjoy that little bike ride. Get, your, get you a snack. Right. I'm going to try. <laughs> thank you, ladies. All right. All right we'll Have talk a great to night. you soon. Bye. That was awesome. I'm so uh, glad we were able to get that done. It went a little long and we had a slight te- technical difficulty at the end, but it's fine. It worked yeah, out well. It was great. And it was good to get to know him. I mean, uh, like I said, I've known him for about a year and a half, but I actually never got to hear his story. So I really liked hearing his story. I, I liked it. It's actually to- been about two years. I think that was. No, it'll be two years April this fall. 2019. It was April. Oh, it was really? Easter weekend. Oh, COVID took my memory. COVID took a whole year for me. I know. Anyways, uh, it was really great getting to know him and hearing his story. And I never knew that he taught women and sexuality. That's actually mm-hmm. a really neat course. I might, uh, That's what is like it, Zoom drop or Zoom bomb to, it. Uh, we need to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. We're and auditing so, your class. Yeah. Obviously, two women of color. Uh-huh. So that's pretty cool. I really appreciate and respect that he leads, you know, a class in a facilitated discussion with 600 college students about such a great topic that is so important to be discussing. So kudos to him. And, you know, he is just a hustler and I love the plants and Mm -hmm. um, it's just pretty great to get to know him. So that um, the whole thing was a, a fun time. I'm really glad I asked him to join and he said, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you all for listening. Um, as always, please look us up on social media. We are on Instagram at the main dish podcast on Facebook at the main dish pod on Twitter at the main dish pod. Uh, our website is the main dish podcast.com. It is about to be under construction. Um, but you know, you can go there. There's not a whole lot there at the moment, but uh, we're working on it. Miley's working on it. Yeah. I'm just going to give her things to do. (laughs) Uh, in the meantime, listen to our episodes, uh, Please like our episodes if you like them. Give us feedback, what you don't like, what you do like, what you want to hear, what you want to get from us. And uh, please, you know, leave a, a review too, if you can. We'd Subscribe, appreciate that. follow, and leave a review. That and share. Great. Share us with all your people. Please, if you enjoyed what you heard here, do share on your social media platforms or just tell all your friends about it. Just start talking about these two crazy girls that are uh, sharing stories from Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love that. And we love you. Love you. All right. See you next week.